Welcome to another episode of the Speechly Podcast, where you can expect conversations exploring the best opportunities in the world of voice user interfaces. Today, we have the next interview from the Voice Pioneers Fireside Chat series, where we have been having interviews with individuals who have made a significant impact in the world of voice technology. We will explore the past work that makes them a pioneer, while also exploring topics around the current and future user behavior with voice-enabled experiences. And today, my guest is David Nahumu. Today, David is the CTO of Pryon, an AI company that delivers augmented intelligence for the enterprise. However, prior to becoming the CTO at Pryon, David had an extensive career at IBM. He led award-winning teams for nearly four decades and ultimately became the IBM Research Speech CTO. David's extensive experience in the space gave us a unique view into how various pieces of both speech recognition and natural language understanding technology have evolved over the last few decades. We discussed various topics such as how have the problems in speech recognition changed from the 1980s to present day 2022, as well as how have the techniques for developing speech recognition changed from 1980 to present day 2022? What have been some of the best use cases for speech recognition and voice user interfaces at IBM? The importance of setting reasonable user expectations with voice enabled experiences, and key trends to pay attention to in speech recognition and natural language understanding in 2022. I hope you enjoy this interview with David Nahumu on the Speechly Podcast. Hey, David, thanks for coming on the Speechly Podcast for the Voice Pioneers Fireside Chat Series. Could you start with just giving a quick background of yourself? Sure, absolutely, yeah. So I came to Purdue University in 1976, December of 1976, got my PhD by uh, April of uh, 1982, but I'd already started working at IBM Research uh, uh, around uh, uh, the November of timeframe in, uh, um, in 1981, because my management uh, were doing a lot of work uh, in the speech area, it was hot and they had some goals to achieve and they put pressure on me and said, well, you're done with your PhD or not, you should come. So I went. Very cool. So how did you actually uh, get involved or, or maybe involved isn't the right word, but interested uh, with speech recognition? Did it have any ties to uh, your your degree and, and what you were pursuing at, at Purdue? Uh, if I under or looked at it correctly, sure. you were studying electrical engineering. Was there any sort of tie to that? Yeah, there is. I figured out later in detail, but so I'm just going to give some coloring on that uh, um, to you. Uh, you know, uh, I came from Iran, so I was a foreign student. I My job search was not really uh, uh, broad. I was limited to large research centers. So um, I uh, secured uh, interviews with AT&T and IBM, both the, the large research labs at the time. And I got about seven offers from different groups at uh, these two centers. Uh, but something happened. I was most impressed by the IBM speech, research speech team. And uh, um, the, there were reasons for it, uh, perhaps, if I want to relate it to my PhD work, uh, as you said, I was working, uh, I was getting my PhD in electrical engineering, but I was uh, really focused on 
ultrasound diffraction imaging. This is something similar to CAT scanners, but using ultrasound. Um, and it, the, it, the technology was a deterministic um, three-dimensional uh, inverse problem in signal processing, right? Uh, but then I realized that the IBM team uh, had formulated this speech recognition problem as a non-deterministic uh, machine learning inverse problem. It, this really was very um, uh, interesting to me. Uh, I was, uh, uh, I found the problem challenging and also found it uh, to have a lot of potential for innovation. The person who hired me said, come here, you are at the beginning of a new era uh, and there's a lot of opportunity for innovation. Somebody at Purdue said, David, you're going to waste your entire career on this problem because nobody has made much progress. So I put the two together and I decided to join the IBM team. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And I definitely want to dig into uh, maybe some of the different problems uh, that that you were trying to solve um, at this time back in, in the 80s. But maybe before we jump into some of those problems, uh, as you mentioned, you, you started at IBM in, in 81 as a member of the speech recognition team. Uh, what exactly did this mean? What, what did your role look like and, and what were your responsibilities when you were just starting out uh, on this team? So I was hired at what is called a research staff member or RSM for short. Um, uh, to be honest, I didn't know anything about the speech processing. But somehow those uh, uh, people with foresight who hired me were looking for people from other branches, other areas of other disciplines. Uh, and I was given the opportunity to explore and innovate uh, in different aspects of a speech recognition problem. The, but uh, the focus at the time was to build a dictation machine. So my responsibility was uh, to essentially uh, look at all the challenging problem, figure out how I can help and, uh, and contribute to what the vision uh, and the mission at the time was, which is to build a dictation machine. And, and with that, uh, so you, you sort of alluded that there are these problems um, that were curious or at least interesting to you uh, to solve. Uh, could you maybe dig in a little bit deeper into uh, what were the actual problems uh, that you are trying to solve as it related to speech recognition and dictation uh, at this time in the early 80s? Yeah, so the, I mean, you can really, the way we were solving the problem was that we organized it as, uh, you know, we as humans, we think of something, which is the words, and then through our articulatory system, we create uh, the sound. The speech recognition problem was the reverse problem which is given the sounds, can you um, decipher what words went through the head of the person who created the, uh, uh, the sound? So we formulated uh, the problem as the relationship between words and sounds. But how did we do that? We had something that was called signal processing, which is we would take the sound and turn them into informative features. And informative had a notion that it has to provide, be very informative about the words. Now, these features, so this was signal processing problem. 
The second problem was acoustic modeling problem, which was to relate these features to pronunciation, phonetic pronunciation of words. The third was this person who was talking, he, has, he or she had a model of production of a speed, of production of language. Uh, there, there's no randomness in uh, word two following word one and word three following that. So we had to model uh, the production of language. That's number three. And then finally, we had to build something called a hypothesis search, which is now that when you, we have received these uh, uh, sounds or signals as we signals and we go through all of these processes and all of these connections, can we uh, go and search among all possible word sequences and find the word sequence that had the highest probability uh, to produce uh, that signal in the form of the features that, that we have, right? So these were the four major problems we were working on, but they were formalized under what is called a hidden Markov model. Uh, which was a machinery for production of uh, speech through some uh, computer models. Acoustic modeling was modeled uh, through uh, Gaussian mixtures. These are uh, 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 Gaussian functions in high dimension, 30, 40 dimensional space. And then the language models mo were modeled according to n-gram, which is what's the probability uh, of a few words following each other. And then we had a machine learning system that would take a lot of training data, which was a uh, collection of a speech and words. And we would put them all through, together through the, this machinery and we will train all the parameters of the model and voila, we had a, a speech recognition system. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious because you've seen uh, decades of innovation go into uh, the actual approach um, for solving some of these problems or uh, developing, or the the, I guess, the overall techniques for developing speech recognition systems. Uh, how have the actual techniques um, for developing these speech recognition systems changed uh, from the time where you were trying to solve these problems to uh, today when we're going about building speech recognition systems? Right. So there are two things at play, or there were two things at play. One, uh, because we were so early in the process, we had to break the problem into a smaller and a smaller things and try to solve it that way. And second, the technologies that were innovated uh, had, had evolved. So the complexity of the problem had evolved and the, tech, the complexity of the technologies associated with it uh, uh, has evolved. So in the early days, we couldn't even really find uh, the, uh, the boundaries. If you spoke in continuous speech, we couldn't break it into these uh, pieces that were associated to words and we didn't have good mechanism. So the earlier speech record system were isolated the speech where the person spoke like this, uh, left pauses. And if, he, if that person didn't, we could not recognize the speech. So we had to find a way to, ways to improve the isolated speech recognition, but go to continuous speech. 
we had to figure out how to build systems that would work for everybody. Because the early systems were speaker dependent, meaning that each person to have a speech record, they, they had to train it by about an hour of a speech that each person gave, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we had to deal with uh, recognizing your speech in noisy environments. Uh, we had to deal with methods to deal with the disfluencies, right? When people speak, they use ohms and ahs and, and other things. And when they are uh, speaking in over the telephony, the bandwidth is lower, the way that they speak uh, is, uh, is not uh, fluent as they are reading from some words. So there were a lot of challenges there. What did we do? We came up with uh, advanced uh, noise enhancement methods. We came up with uh, training that is called discriminant training. At IBM, the method we used was maximum mutual in information, which replaced the traditional maximum likelihood training uh, uh, methods. We had to deal with uh, the elements of uh, context. You know, when you put a few uh, words together, uh, the, the, somehow the phones disappear, right? When, when somebody says, would you, uh, the, uh, they, the, the, the phones in the sequence of would you, and if you wish have, you put them all together, they shrink, they disappear. And how do you handle all of these acoustic and, and phonetic contextual modeling? Uh, so we came up with uh, decision trees uh, for representation of those. And that was the progress for many years with these uh, tra traditional methods, we went from Gaussian mixtures of let's say 200 Gaussians to Gaussian mixtures of a million Gaussians. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so we expanded, we grew this, the, the systems became 100 times more complex than when I joined, uh, or maybe, uh, maybe even more than that when I joined IBM. Uh, but then something else happened neural network showed up. So around the 2011 or so, uh, after 20, 25 years that a lot of people were working on neural networks, the neural networks just started showing the promise. Uh, and the convolution neural network, uh, recurrent one, uh, the, uh, the uh, feed forward and late, later the transformers, they all came and they started uh, making a huge impact on the performance of these, uh, uh, of these systems. Uh, and we started even changing the fundamental modeling, which is we were thinking uh, modeling that, is, that words produce a speech. And now we go ahead and we try to go back by, uh, by inverting the process. We came up with the direct modeling, which is directly from a speech go, go to words using these neural networks. And that's where uh, we are today. Naturally, there are uh, still problems to be solved, but uh, that journey has been, uh, uh, has been very uh, interesting and many, many, many innovations have been uh, made during the years. Yeah, and I, I wanna use that to, to somewhat segue into looking at um, some of the use cases as well, because I think 
some of the, the technical constraints or, or problems um, can also impact, obviously, the end user, uh, things that you can build, uh, or the different exp experiences that you can bring to life, uh, therefore. So I, I'm, I'm curious, it says that um, in your bio that you were the uh, interim GM for IBM, uh, this, the, the IBM speech business unit, uh, and you were responsible for delivering speech technologies to the IBM divisions for desktop embedded and server-based products. Um, so first off, what, what years were you actually in this position? Uh, so I joined IBM 1982. I went to a, a couple of levels of management. By 1994, where we had finished a task force for IBM CEO at the time, Lou Gershner, um, speech business unit was established and they were looking for a general manager. And uh, my manager called me and said, hey, David, do you want to become the interim general manager? I said, why not? I mean, so I became the interim general manager for three months from April to June of 1994. And uh, then, it, sorry. No, sorry. I uh, didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it was very, uh, really very educational. I had to learn about... Uh, uh, not only the technology that I still had the responsibility for, but also about uh, finance, marketing, sales, uh, development, and all of those other things. Uh, but then you know, something called me back and said, David, perhaps it's best for you to continue focusing on the, uh, on the technology uh, part of it. Uh, and so I, I told management that I would like to do that. And they started looking for um, uh, for a, a permanent general manager. We went through two or three of them during the the, the, the years that the speech business unit was, was active. Uh, but when the uh, general manager showed up, I became part of the core team for the speech business unit as the head of the research. Uh, and we went through the journey that you mentioned which is to create many, many products for uh, personal computers, for telephony applications, and for embedded devices. Yeah, so maybe during this period, just to uh, start to, to, to picture um, you know, what the types of use cases looked like uh, at this time, could you maybe just describe um, whether it's within the desktop or embedded or, or more of a server-based product, um, could you maybe just describe uh, some of the more popular use cases at the time um, that you were touching as as part of the uh, IBM speech business unit? Right. So the so it was interesting that the um, um, the the speech team at IBM Research was very focused uh, ahead of the pack, so to speak, uh, advancing technology. When the CEO came and did the study. There were other from outside who were candidates that perhaps IBM could use their technology. But when it was decided to use uh, the internal IBM technology, IBM research technology, the focus of the business unit uh, became uh, heavily on the continuation of the vision, which was building a dictation uh, product for desktop use. And it, and the use cases were for accessibility, 
for medical space like radiologists who day in day out uh, dictate and for uh, legal practitioners uh, as well. Uh, the, the, the product, uh, interesting enough for IBM, which was a complete, uh, essentially uh, server-based, mainframe-based company, was available in retail stores, right? We, um, we had a couple of very successful versions called Simply Speaking and then uh, uh, Via Voice. Um, where uh, simply speaking was for discrete speech, your voice was for continuous speech, and they became really a staples of the uh, uh, of that era uh, in the uh, retail uh, dictation software being sold uh, in retail stores. A few years later, uh, I think by around uh, uh, 1999 uh, or so we started focusing on the application of the speech record uh, in the car. This was what I call the embedded space. And the idea there was for controlling uh, uh, radio while you are driving or the temperature in the car or making phone calls. Uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, our product was called Embedded View Voice. Uh, and uh, it, it was very successful. It was integrated as part of the uh, the Acura cars uh, uh, with uh, quite uh, good performance. Uh, a, a few years later, two or three years later, where uh, client server type was ve becoming very popular for everything, uh, we started focusing on server-based uh, uh, speech recognition. And the main uh, use there was for telephony. Um, and it was mostly for telephony dialogue and a spoken language understanding, uh, uh, which were used along the uh, uh, interactive voice response system. Uh, and they were um, uh, uh, really became a major part of this uh, call center automation um, uh, offerings at the time. In addition, we also packaged and created some systems for government intelligence communities uh, for spoken content retrieval and document understanding. And some of these things found uh, their way along with other technologies like machine translation uh, being used uh, uh, by, the, uh, by, the, by government in the public sector. And I, my, my next question, um, I think it's, it's somewhat, somewhat interesting because I, I think that you have an interesting perspective where uh, you've been able to see the evolution of both the technology and the end user use cases for speech recognition, dictation, um, these types of experiences. And the reason I say it's interesting is I, I want to know what do you think have been um, or what do you think maybe the most interesting development in regards to the actual use cases for speech recognition has been over the last few decades? And the reason I think it's funny is because uh, you mentioned this embedded um, in-car experience, which is, if you ask a lot of people, might be the most prevalent use case that they would use uh, speech recognition or some sort of um, voice input or voice command and control for is still using uh, the, the native control of their car. So 
I guess it's a, a roundabout way of saying is some of the best use cases might not change all that much, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, what do you think have been some of the more interesting developments um, as it relates to use cases for speech recognition um, that you've seen over your career? Right. So uh, I would say that it is around three things, dictations, dictation, call centers, and speech analytics. So in the dictation space, uh, we were uh, essentially uh, trying to essentially create some sort of natural replacement for key keyboard entry uh, for uh, uh, command and control, uh, to replace tactile control uh, of uh, devices that you just mentioned, uh, like a TV that, or in the car. And I have to say that besides the examples that he gave, uh, this division has actually come a long way. And we see that uh, many people, I find it actually very interesting that from my uh, uh, seven-year-old uh, granddaughter to my wife and many, many people around me, they're using it now for quick messages and for note-taking on their cell phone by dictating uh, their messages. So in a way, you know, besides in the car, um, the uh, it's becoming very popular for people to just uh, take their cell phone to their mouth and start um, uh, recording a message, transcribe it, and send it. And my seven-year-old, as I said, who doesn't know how to type, uh, is using it. A very interesting uh, uh, evolution from the basic dictation to here. The next one in the call centers, right? The focus was uh, to improve uh, the automation of the customer support for a variety of things, pre-sales, sales, post-sales. Uh, and while the IVR and uh, web pages that have come together, uh, and the, uh, they, they are working and acting together. Today, it, the same problem is being attacked and formalized through these chatbots, virtual assistants, conversational AI, uh, and uh, which, uh, the, so, so in this space, the journey continues, right? We took it some step. Now, uh, the, the, the focus is around can we better understand the language? Can we better converse with the, with the human? And can we close the gap between the uh, human-machine interaction and human-human uh, interaction? So this is a longer journey. It is continuing, but it is getting uh, a lot closer to, uh, the, to uh, this gap to be really uh, uh, a lot reduced. Finally, it's... Um, uh, the, the third uh, is about um, speech analytics. Um, it, the early on, intelligence community was very interested to extract useful knowledge from uh, uh, all kinds of videos and uh, telephone conversation. Now today, businesses are very interested for managing and using all the knowledge that exists in the heads of uh, the people as they interact with each other, as they um, uh, talk, as they go through uh, uh, conference calls, and it is a gold mine of uh, uh, knowledge that that exists, but it is trapped inside the enterprises, and now 
businesses are starting to apply uh, the, the more detail, more uh, understanding and uh, processing and summarizing and extracting of knowledge uh, from these uh, uh, spoken uh, source uh, and, and knowledge that exists uh, in the heads of people, which I call it the tribal knowledge, which perhaps is the most important uh, knowledge uh, of any enterprise. Yeah, very, very um, interesting. And it's also just so exciting to see how fast uh, a lot of these different use cases are evolving uh, in today's day and age over the years. But I, I do want to uh, pick your brain a little bit um, on the time that you spent as the uh, IBM Research Speech CTO, because it says that your uh, responsibility uh, was a little bit different where you had to look at both the, the technical side of things, but also uh, the business strategy side of things. And um, I think the question I have needs a little bit of context. So uh, at least my opinion um, in 2022 um, over the last few years is there's been a little bit of a disconnect between uh, the user expectations of what you uh, can get out of, let's say a voice assistant technology and then what the actual technology is able to deliver today, where I think the user expectations were set a little bit too high um, compared to what the technology was actually capable of delivering, again, in the context of a voice assistant. Um, I'm curious, do you have any examples um, or, or uh, past stories where uh, maybe you had to, let's say, press the brakes a little bit on the technical side of things uh, because the business side of things maybe wasn't as advanced um, or the end users weren't um, maybe ready for all of the advancement from the, the technical side. Uh, do you have any um, experiences that you ran into like that where maybe there was a disconnect between um, some of the parties involved? Okay, so this is a, um, a, a very profound question that you're asking, which is we as humans, uh, our, our level of expectation changes. So there are two curves. One is the curve of progress of the technology. The other one is the curve of the uh, uh, user human expectation. And you're absolutely right. Uh, the user expectation, uh, as they have seen uh, more progress with the speech technology has been growing even faster. So, the curve of the user uh, expectation is above the technology. So some of those challenges uh, are, are there. Now, uh, the, the, what have we uh, done about it? Actually, one of the things that I had to do was the fact that uh, at IBM, uh, as, the, as the CTO, I have to tell people that, you know, it, it's not uh, enough to just do a speech record and a speech synthesis, we need to start working on the conversational side of it, which is the understanding of the language and also the, uh, the dialogue uh, part of it. Now, these things um, in the new era of AI uh, require a lot of data. So part of the challenge uh, that we have been facing as researchers and scientists has been where do we get data uh, for innovating 
in the understanding side, in the dialogue side of it. But in any case, um, uh, the, uh, the, the problems started showing up and we had to start innovating on that. And we had to figure out how to grow um, our um, data alongside with, with computation. So it's a, it's the, the whole forefront of the problem, technology, data, and uh, computing uh, are, are moving forward. Uh, and every few years, we come up with some breakthroughs uh, and those, um, those help us. Uh, but um, uh, we are where we are, I think, um, uh, as, as we speak uh, about uh, the, uh, what is going on, um, for example, where I am today at Prime and uh, what is expected in the future, there's a lot of thinking and ideas that how to accelerate uh, the progress. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the past, your time at IBM. Uh, would like to segue uh, a little bit more into the present day and your um, responsibilities as the CTO of Pryon. Uh, could you maybe just give a quick um, overview of what Pryon is and what you guys do for anybody that isn't aware? And then uh, can you give a little bit of context into uh, what your role looks like as the CTO? Sure. So Prion is an AI NLP company, uh, NLP being natural language processing. Uh, our mission is to deliver uh, products and solutions based on these advanced natural language processing. And as part of that, we work on uh, all kinds of uh, content, spoken content, textual content, and even graphical content. And we are trying to put all of these things together to produce uh, our products and solutions. The goal is that we want to help these enterprises improve their operations and, uh, and then production tasks. Operations being, for example, something like finance or, uh, uh, or department that uh, uh, handles the uh, invoices and so on and so forth. Uh, the production means the main thing that they produce. If they are uh, uh, building uh, computers, um, how can they become more productive, produce better products, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we look at this AI NLP in two parallel paths. One is uh, delivering uh, uh, some sort of intelligent interaction system that would allow uh, users using some question answering system um, being and through that be able to quickly get to the knowledge that they want or some intelligent document uh, processing uh, that would take some document and and automatically uh, analyzes it for its compliance uh, um, uh, for a business contract for example uh, uh, so, so we are doing both on the interaction and also on the uh, document, uh, intelligent natural language processing on those. Uh, my role is to make sure that we constantly improve the accuracy uh, and efficiency of our uh, uh, speech and uh, language uh, products and make sure that we deliver 
these products that address the current business challenges uh, of the enterprises, right? I mean, I'm uh, um, a, a researcher with a long-term uh, uh, forward-looking, but at Prime, my goal is to address uh, the immediate needs, which usually uh, is six to 12 months product cycles. Yeah, I, I, that just made me think of a, a different thread to maybe go down. What do you think are um, the biggest uh, or the most um, consistent business challenges that the enterprise faces in, in general where an NLP um, or some sort of intelligent interaction system or solution uh, would lend itself to actually make sense? Uh, so this is a, an interesting area, which is uh, AI has a lot of promises, right? Uh, and we see a lot of technology value in it. You can get more accurate results, you can get it faster, you can get broader information. But your question is more about what really business values uh, does it, um, does it uh, solve? And, uh, and, and business values, you can think of it in many form, but at least some KPIs are becoming more uh, uh, paid attention to, which is, can you help me reduce my cost of operation? Can you help me make my uh, uh, employees more uh, productive? Can you help me uh, reduce uh, the risk? So some companies who are managing some large, uh, let's say power stations, if the power station goes down for two days, the impact is in millions of dollars. And they are looking for finding ways to predict these and, uh, and stop uh, uh, th those kinds of damages uh, that, that could come. Uh, and, uh, and perhaps more important than anything else uh, is uh, supporting customers as they come. Um, do you have methodologies and uh, capabilities that uh, is automated so that uh, the, you don't have to worry about, about the arrival time uh, of uh, these uh, interested customers uh, who need help? Uh, and are they um, good enough and capable enough to uh, make them, satisfy them in terms of uh, their experience that they have with the technology? And if it didn't work, as I mentioned, uh, in cost cutting, uh, can you can these technologies help the others who today, for example, agents in call centers that so many of them are out there, can they become more efficient and more effective in the way that they uh, they support uh, their customers? Uh, in a few terms would be: can they reduce the average handling time uh, of uh, uh, any customers uh, that come? Can they answer the question uh, on the first, uh, so to speak, uh, a minute of the conversation and not force them to jump from one agent to another. A few examples. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that. Um, now I'm gonna segue back to uh, the actual tech that you guys are building at Prion. I'm, I'm curious, what are the problems um, from your perspective that you think are still worth solving 
in both speech recognition and natural language processing in 2022 uh, that Prion specifically um, curious about or, or paying attention to? So our focus in the broader picture that you are bringing in, all about advancing uh, the spoken and textual interaction with knowledge, right? And be able to also extract and abstract knowledge from all the content, both the spoken and textual content that exists in an uh, enterprise. Uh, now, this is, um, uh, this is uh, challenging because there are, it's complicated. Sometimes uh, when you are interacting uh, the, the information is hidden. You have to jump around and you have to uh, get it. Sometimes the knowledge is not in the digital form. It's actually in some human's head. And, and we, need to, uh, we, we need to go and get it. And as you can understand, it, it's more and more uh, the, the problem uh, is becoming a merger of a speech and language uh, processing together. Uh, so, so therefore, it's more on the conversational AI part of it than the, uh, than the pure speech recognition. Not that I'm saying that the speech recognition problem is all solved, uh, but the, the more pressing uh, problems today are at the, uh, at the cross section of the understanding clustering, extracting of knowledge from both the spoken and textual content. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And um, I'm, I'm curious because uh, Prion's been around now for a handful of years. Um, are there any uh, key achievements or, or patents as it relates to speech technology or, or like you said, maybe more in the, the natural language understanding side of things um, that Prion is uh, been able to accomplish that is is worth noting and that you'd like to explore further? Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, we as technologists always uh, are proud of uh, uh, what what we have done, but uh, usually uh, the best uh, judge is what market thinks, uh, what uh, the customers think. And what I can say uh, at this point in time with, with high confidence is that uh, uh, our greatest achievement has been uh, the delivery of a question answering system uh, that it is providing the best reported answer accuracy uh, compared to ad others that are out there. Uh, and uh, 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 so it, to me, uh, that's a great achievement. We are a very small team but we have managed uh, to take uh, benefit from a lot of research um, and open source that is out there, but package it and wrap it and, and deliver it in such a way that the product uh, as compared to other products out there shines in accuracy, speed and ease of use. Yeah, so we're we're heading into uh, we're or I guess not heading into we're in the the first few weeks here of 2022. Uh, are there any key trends um, or important trends, whether it's in speech recognition or, or natural language processing, uh, that you're paying particularly close attention to uh, here in 2022? The time has come to realize that um, 
speech uh, between humans uh, is used as a multi-term uh, interaction tool, not a one-term. Uh, so in a speech record, you say something and it turns into text. In uh, traditional question answering, uh, you say something uh, and uh, the, you expect some result to come back. But in real world, it's not that simple. So in conversational AI, uh, even when the answer is explicitly available in a system, uh, which is the, the problem of question answering, many times users don't say the complete question. They drop important um, uh, con context, uh, like a model number of a product uh, somehow uh, gets does not stated, and now the question uh, could be the battery life um, of a um, of a laptop, and if you don't give the model number, uh, if, there could be hundred different models. And the system needs to come back and ask question. And therefore, uh, this is one of those cases that uh, you uh, we need to address, uh, which is how to make conversational capability on top of question answering. Um, another uh, thing that is coming is that um, people, uh, enterprises have a lot of uh, uh, things to do which is not a single activity, it's usually a workflow. Just, just consider the, an example that uh, uh, you are responsible for hiring uh, a few uh, applicants and you have received uh, uh, hundreds uh, and you have no time to go through all of them. How can you select uh, a few that you want uh, to be interviewed? Uh, to do that selection involves many steps. These steps need, uh, for example, you have to balance the pros and cons of many dimensions that, uh, uh, that get uh, involved, such as education level, such as years of experience. Uh, and you want to do these things uh, uh, quickly. Now, completing this workflow uh, in an automatic natural language way uh, requires uh, again, multi-turn interaction with a system which needs to be managed by a dialogue system. So uh, that is uh, uh, that is appearing on the radar, uh, uh, so to speak, uh, in 2022. And then the other thing is that you probably have heard of chatbots, which are uh, essentially um, a version of these dialogue system for a smaller task, and then the the things that you do for question answering. And now people are realizing that uh, anytime users, human users, are involved, they and they see this is to your point about the expectation curve. They see that the technology is showing some intelligence. They all of a sudden expect that the machine to start behaving like a human being. So they start having chit chat with it. They say, hi, how are you today? And they, and they start tanking the system um, and, uh, uh, and sharing some sort of pleasantry with them when they do the job properly. Now, these, if you don't plan properly for them, 
could actually result into a funny operation by the system. So to, to put it together, uh, multi-turn uh, natural language uh, or conversational interaction uh, is uh, something that uh, uh, it, we, we see a lot in the, that we are working on in 2023. Yeah, and that, that last point just brought up a, another question. Um, do you think that the, I don't know if humanization is the right word, but making these voice assistants um, have this this idea of almost being uh, human or, or mimicking human behavior, uh, do you think that this has actually been a benefit um, to the overall space or, or the voice-enabled um, experience space, if you will, uh, or do you think that humanizing uh, these voice-enabled experiences has actually bringing back this expectation curve. Um, do you think it's almost aided um, in creating this set of user expectations that is almost unachievable if we're talking about um, trying to completely mimic uh, a human with these types of systems? Do you, do you think it would have been maybe better off if um, these speech recognition systems were uh, not humanized as much and was more approached from the perspective of, uh, you know, you can talk to the system, but it's it's still a computer at the end of the day. I actually think that uh, the uh, the stride and the goal to uh, improve and get closer to the uh, to the human have has been very uh, useful and very good, and I'm talking about it uh, uh, in, in the long run, because, uh, you know, it, it creates a lot more challenges, but at the same time, it is challenges that uh, uh, cause uh, more progress. Uh, so uh, if, if progress uh, is a metric and a measure for, um, uh, for success, which I think it is, uh, uh, the uh, aiming to make the systems to be uh, to to show um, some sort of behavior and similarities to um, to humans is act has actually been useful uh, now uh, and and uh, so I, I I welcome it at the same time I know uh, that uh, we as designers as product developers, uh, um, we need to always uh, find out what is the minimum viable product uh, that we can produce uh, to, uh, to satisfy the users. And the, uh, you said the example. I mean, I'm uh, among those people that there's one place that I definitely use a speech record and I've been using it for the past 10 years. And that is in the car. because. Uh, the the value proposition uh, of a speech uh, has been higher than any other modality that I could get. So as humans, we we wanted or not, we only use technologies that they really give value to us. And and I don't think that the um, as designers we really know what is that point, uh, and it's always good. Uh, to push the boundaries because that's the faster, fastest way uh, to get to the 
uh, to, the, to the higher and higher level. Yeah. So uh, another segue, um, the IBM website mentions that you provide uh, technical direction for multimodal interaction technologies. Um, first, I'm curious, how do you define a multimodal experience? So uh, look, as humans, uh, when we interact with each other, uh, we use many things. We use a speech. Uh, we use our hand gestures um, in some mode, like uh, um, we use um, visual processing. Sometimes we type to each other on a side channel um, and, and so on and so forth. So we are uh, heavily using multimodal uh, experience to communicate, and we really want that. And when we are dealing with complicated things, we take a piece of paper and we start drawing on it, right? So uh, we are very much used to uh, multimodal interaction experience as people. Because of the limitation of our digital world, we started for a long time to be tied to just keyboard and mouse. And then we came up with the idea that the speech uh, can, uh, can replace it. But really, there is no replacement. It's all about um, bringing these things together uh, so that uh, we have this multimodal um, uh, effect uh, in interacting with machine. Because it's already proven that for humans, that's what we need. Uh, you know. Uh, and don't let's let us not forget, which is in the um, and and it's we're we're seeing some benefit, which is many times when we exchange information, speaking is the fastest way uh, and the most convenient way to convey information, but reading is the fastest and most effective way to receive information. Uh, so therefore. Uh, the uh, this notion uh, of do we need multimodality? Don't we need? We definitely need it. It's going to be a part of human machine interaction. Yeah, and then do you think that there's any key differences um, in the design approach uh, for a purely conversational experience? So let's say uh, maybe an IVR um, type experience would be a good example of that, where it's it's a just purely through um, an, an audio chat on the phone uh, versus uh, let's say a multimodal mobile application where you can use voice um, and other uh, modalities at your your literal fingertips. Um, are there are there any key differences in, in how you actually approach it from a design perspective, um, it being the, the voice enabled experience? Yeah, I actually think of it um, when it gets into bringing these uh, speech technologies or language technologies into our uh, interactions with machine, I actually think of it in three categories. The first is design, right? And there is a simple thing here. If there are more choices, there are usually more challenges in the design. Back to your uh, car navigation system, right? Um, my car navigation system um, has been designed to give me audible signals when something changes, uh, give me additional feedback or alert uh, when 
traffic changes, where the routes uh, changes, where I'm getting closer. But you know, depending on who that the person is, uh, this frequency uh, of how often the alerts should be given, these audible signals should be given, uh, changes. Uh, the, some people don't like uh, to be uh, binged every every minute. Some people essentially would love it, uh, and therefore, uh, how do you design it? How do you enable it uh, for uh, a wide variety of users? Uh, make uh, the uh, introduces new design when you design for multimodality. A second problem is um, that. I always think about the speech as something that we add to the existing uh, interaction system, which are uh, uh, the, the tactile. Uh, and uh, the, the second problem that we have, all the interactive system that exists today have this heritage of uh, uh, keyboard or tactile. Uh, and now when you want to add uh, uh, at a speech, it, just coding, programming the combinations. How do you orchestrate between them? How do you do this first and then do that? If the speech signal comes and how do you stop uh, the, the tactile effect? That is a very challenging uh, problem uh, and it, which introduces the difference between when you program for two or three things versus programming for one thing just the programming become complicated. And I think I should never uh, uh, just go without saying that um, the tactile and all the interactive system that existed before these AI capability, the speech and language show up, the error was always introduced into interaction by the human. I mistyped or I forgot to fill something here. Now, with the speech technologies, with the language technologies, machines are starting to make mistakes. So how you handle uh, errors uh, is becoming a, uh, an important part of the, the whole uh, design of the, uh, the user experience. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating to think about, especially that, that last piece. Um, I'm, I'm curious to, as we look into uh, the future a little bit with with where some of this stuff could go. Uh, you alluded earlier that you are um, at Pryon spending more time, uh, at least it seems like it's uh, more worth your time to think about some of the challenges with the actual understanding or, or processing of speech. Uh, do you think that there is um, a point in the future where all the problems with uh, speech recognition as we know it are solved? Well, if you promise me that uh, the, uh, the, the user's expectation curve uh, saturates, uh, then the answer is yes. Uh, so, but I think in general, the answer is yes. The, I think the harder question you, would have, you could have asked me is when, right? When uh, those things would go away. Uh, but even with the speech recognition, uh, which is, in pure sense, a mapping of a speech to text, we have come a long way, yeah, but we still have challenges in recognizing a speech in very noisy environments. Uh, we need the challenge that we have challenges with the strong accents and uh, 
very valuable Daleks. And we have uh, uh, challenges with uh, uh, languages uh, where they don't have enough training data. So these are very difficult problems. Uh, it They will stay with us for a while. We'll make progress as we have done in the past, but it's going to be, um, so to speak, a slow incoming, but it's going to be a steady incoming. It, the other side is that speech, as I've said, is recognition especially, is becoming part of a bigger AI problem, which is uh, conversational AI and also uh, speech uh, analytics. Uh, and so therefore, besides the recognition, we have to understand the meaning. And besides the understanding, we have to manage the multi back and forth of uh, what is out there for our chatbots and, and uh, virtual uh, assistants. So in summary, I think um, there is a saying that I uh, used to grow up in the IBM speech team, which is, hey, the speech recognition problem will be solved in the next five years. <laughs> and uh, this has been going on <laughs> for the last 30, <laughs> 30 years or so. I think we'll continue to say that uh, a couple of times more uh, in the future as we are making uh, this city progress. So we'll have to come back in, in five years and, and get your updated projection. Um, yeah, perhaps. But the, the good news is that, by the way, we are making the progress uh, in terms of some technologies is, is not just very linear, sometimes becomes so nonlinear. So for example, with these uh, um, uh, transformers, in, there has been a really a renaissance and a huge progress in natural language understanding for it. So it, it's it, the whole thing on the long term, maybe average over five years and slowly maybe four years and three years would be happening. But yeah, uh, we, 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 I don't think that we um, we are there to know exactly when uh, the technology would pass the expectation, but we are getting closer. Yes. Yeah, so the, the final question I have for you uh, is what gets you excited about speech technology or conversational AI uh, over the next decade? Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the first thing uh, ties to where I am with uh, Prime, right? Uh, we are focused on delivering uh, the, the best natural language technologies and solutions uh, that would drive the core business values uh, for enterprises, large uh, and small, right? So the, the, the thing is that the expectation, the demand uh, is, is there, the need is there, and therefore, uh, the excitement, uh, I would say beyond belief, is there. What do they really need? Uh, they, they, when we have talked about it to some extent, is that uh, the, the businesses need these sort of intelligent interaction capabilities uh, to improve their uh, customers' and employees' experience. I think if there is any word out there, uh, is that uh, we are. Uh, more and more, the computer digital industry 
is going to be focusing on user experience. Uh, and our goal is to advance these conversational AIs, the question answering capabilities uh, for a better uh, customer support while we reduce the cost, right? The, these two are very, um, uh, I mean, they have to go hand in hand uh, for a better self-service and at the same time, um, the ability to help the agents, those who are supporting us in these call centers with, to have better access to knowledge so that they can augment uh, their, their technologies, right? So this is more about where do I get more knowledge uh, from outside? Uh, how, the, how is the knowledge package made available so that uh, different users, the employees, the customers, and also uh, the, the specialists like the call center agents can do their job uh, better. But in addition to that is the other side of the story, uh, which is, you know, many things that are happening in, uh, uh, in our digital world are still very inefficient, right? I mean, invoices, for example, that, are, uh, that companies receive, they are very structured, very uh, uh, packaged properly, but there's a long process that they go through uh, to, uh, uh, to take those invoices and enter them into a system uh, in such a way that they can manipulate the data that is coming in through this PDF invoices, right? So there's extreme inefficiency in many steps uh, of, uh, our, of our digital world. And a lot of it is a function of, um, because the content is written, is, is exposed, is spoken in natural language. A lot of the limitation comes because we are not taking it to the next level uh, to understand these things and then organize the knowledge uh, a lot better uh, so that we can interact with them a lot more uh, efficient. So the, so the next step is this intelligent document processing uh, that can we um, uh, go ahead and take uh, different documents uh, that uh, are out there and create something that is easier to work with. It's, uh, it's faster uh, to, to work with. Uh, and you probably know about this uh, robotic process automation. So you can think of it that um, uh, this AI NLP uh, is going to penetrate uh, in this space of the uh, robotic process automation uh, where the demand uh, for process automation depends on how much and how good and how accurate the natural language processing uh, is. And I don't uh, care if the, uh, in a way it doesn't matter if it was produced by a speech or it was typed or, or, or so on and so forth. So the modality, uh, uh, it becomes common and integrated together. It's the next stages that how these documents are going to be processed, especially uh, for augmentation of the knowledge uh, 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 discovery and decision-making for a lot of specialists in tax area, in finance area, in 
contract, in manufacturing, HR, and on and on and on. So it, I think uh, this uh, knowledge era that we are uh, really entering is, is so exciting. Uh, and the AI NLP uh, with all of the modalities that all started with the speech technology uh, are coming together to, uh, uh, to, to really transform us. The same way that information technology uh, transformed transaction processing, uh, uh, this uh, knowledge technology is going to transform uh, the higher level uh, things that we do in companies, which is decision-making and, uh, uh, and uh, extra higher processing things that we do that we look for uh, assessing things, uh, finding uh, risks and, and so on and so forth, they're all going to be uh, needing uh, our innovation in, the, uh, in AI and LP and our solution that we build specifically for them. Very nice. Thanks. Thanks a lot for, for sharing that. And uh, thanks also for, for joining me today and, and sharing your experience. Uh, I hope the, the listeners uh, enjoyed as much as I did, because I know that uh, I really enjoyed the, the conversation. So thanks a lot for joining me, David. Uh, where can the users follow both the work that you are doing and, and Prion? Where would you point them to? Uh, the uh, uh, Prion.ai is the uh, uh, our website, and they can uh, they can get a lot of information there. They can also, uh, uh, if they need to reach out, the Nahamu at uh, Prining.com is uh, is another way uh, that uh, they can reach out. And Colin, thank you very much for this. It was uh, a quite quite interesting questions and uh, uh, helping me to go through a a, a memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Thanks again for, for joining me. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Speechly podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion and are interested in the world of voice user interfaces, we would love if you subscribed and checked out future episodes. And if you are ready to integrate a voice user interface in your website or application, or if you would just like to learn more about the opportunities with voice user interfaces, you should check out our website at speechly.com.